0: You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Not in a minute, laugh. We, we, we live. Welcome to the Locked On Hornets Podcast. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do make more sales make sure you are also following us on twitter and instagram at locked on hornets and on facebook facebook.com slash locked hornets and we're also part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Visit LockedOnSports.com to check out all of our our podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, and fantasy sports. Today, we go down the past, the present, and the future of Jeremy Lamb, which will be a nice pickup in morale from yesterday where we left off with Nick Batum. Seemed like the world was crashing yesterday, but we'll pick it up a little bit more with Jeremy Lamb. And we'll also have a fun night in the playoffs last night. We'll discuss that. Really fun night in the playoffs last night. Unbelievable with Cavs and the Pacers and how that one's been
1: going. I've been in love with the NBA playoffs so far. It is. It has made me fall in love with the NBA playoffs all over again. This first round has been
0: amazing. Oh, and we kind of knew it too, right? Like, I mean, it, it seemed like this one was going to be a good one. It has delivered. It seemed like this was going to be a really fun playoffs. I don't think anybody expected the Pelicans to whip up on the Trailblazers like they did. I had that one going seven, or at least I thought it would be. But and that's really the only—I mean, there's been some really good playoff series. That, the ones that you thought would be pretty decent, they've kind of delivered outside of that. One.
1: And I think the Pelicans' Trailblazers sweep was like the most fun sweep that I've ever seen. You know, usually those 4-0—
0: Cavs' Pacers last year was good. That's true. La- last year, playoff P, before we even knew he was playoff P yet, he actually kept the Pacers in it a little bit. That was a decent one. But this one is a good—I mean, game one was—what was it? Just a two-point victory for the Pelicans. It, w- it was fun to watch, and you have some interesting storylines there, too— like, what do they do with the Marcus Cousins later on? I mean, there, there's interesting things, at least, to take from that.
1: And what, what uh, second-round matchup are you—possible matchup are you most excited about?
0: The second-round matchup that I'm most excited about— Just a I don't, possible I don't think it I don't think it can be had on the West. I think it has to be on the East, and I think it would have to be Toronto and whoever comes out of this Cavs-Pacers series, because I think Philadelphia beats the Celtics. I'm comfortable thinking that Philadelphia marches on, even despite Brad Stevens being a fantastic coach. I think it has to be Toronto and Cleveland or Toronto and Indiana. And I guess this is even assuming that I have Toronto beating Washington. I mean, it just seems like that's going to be the most intriguing second round matchup that has to be offered.
1: Yeah. I feel like I'm more, I'm still more excited to see Philadelphia play in the second round, even though I agree with you. I think Toronto and whoever comes out of that Cleveland uh, Pacers series which I think we'll talk about this a little later too because that game was fantastic last night. I think it's now going to be Cleveland. I feel like they they really just sealed their deal with that oh, LeBron sure. James game winner. Sure. I think they took took all of the air out of out of the Pacers tires.
0: Well and and you could see how visibly distraught they were. Miles Turner, you could let out you could hear him or you could see him let out the oh my God after he hit that. And so you're just here for Philly, though. You're here for Embiid, you're here for Ben Simmons.
1: I'm here for Embiid. I'm here for Covington. I'm yeah. here for S- Shaw Rich. I'm here for I'm here <laughs> for it all.
0: So we also have that night in the playoffs. Clifford hopping on the woge pod, having some interesting comments to say, a little bit cryptic. Some cryptic stuff going on with Steve Clifford. <laughs> he's sounding smart. He's just everywhere he goes. He's it, sounding brilliant. Well, yes, he is. And and I'm not surprised about that either, right? We knew Steve Clifford was going to be smart. We've seen him in the press conferences. We've been here. We dealt with that first before the rest of the nation did. You can reap on our benefits of what we had. And when apparently Charlotte lets him go, they're now reaping the benefits of Steve Clifford being
1: an analyst everywhere. He was candid in that interview, I thought, with with Woj. Not not extremely candid. I mean, he wasn't dishing dishing the good dirt. But I felt like he honestly answered... Woj's questions on his departure, on what went wrong, and even on Dwight Howard.
0: I would say he was candid even with his time in Charlotte for a decent mm-hmm. amount. I mean, he wasn't a guy that was going to sugarcoat anything for you, and I thought it was appropriately so. There wasn't anything I thought Steve Clifford let get out of the locker room that was detrimental to the team or anything like that. And I still think he's kind of kept that. I, I Clifford has always been kind of candid. I think that's been something that's been interesting with him. And also, the one and done rule in the NBA will also be getting to. So the NCAA creates this commission and they go out get some people like Condoleezza Rice some interesting names to put in a pool together Grant Hill David Robinson an interesting set of names on this commission and they propose that the one and done rule needs to be done on top of a lot of other things that are mentioned there of course not paying the players that's not mentioned there but also you do have banning people for life if they so far defy any of the rules that they allow or having a five-year suspension up to at least with some of this. So an interesting, uh, an interesting proposal that that NCAA commission, that panel had uh, today. They actually spoke on that yesterday. So we'll try to get to all of it today here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Again, Walker Mail and Doug Branson here with you. We move on to a pleasant surprise for today's pod. I've been a Debbie Downer, I guess, the past couple of pods. Nick Batum, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to save, trying not to be so down on it. But even Kemba, I feel like I was thinking about losing him more than I was celebrating what he had done the past couple of years and even this last season. So it's just unfortunate that he might have to go. But now we move on to, again, a happy development that took place this season. There weren't many, and that's Jeremy Lamb and his increase in production. Jeremy Lamb was a good player this year, and it's and it was fun to watch him. And you you start with his past first. Jeremy Lamb was drafted by the Rockets in the lottery, and that was in 2012, and didn't play for him you know but early in his career you know, the most interesting thing to note for Jeremy is that he was of course part of that trade that sent James Harden to Houston where he didn't wasn't even uh, again that much of the Rockets equation at that point cuz they used him to get the James used him to get James Harden so they send him to get James and in that trade OKC got Lamb and they also got Kevin Martin Western Carolina great hometown guy while sending the eventual probable MVP, of course, to this year's Rockets and James Harden. So Lamb goes to OKC, and he doesn't quite make a huge impact, just averages a little over six points a game in his 23-year-old season. And then Charlotte decides to take a chance on him, and they trade, of course, a second-round pick. Of course they trade a second-round pick, and they trade Luke Ridenour. And, of course... Again, is there anything more predictable than a second-round trade from Rich Cho and Luke Rittenauer just being traded by anybody?
1: It was the Rich Cho
0: special. It was. It was. It was a Rich Cho special of a second-round pick, and here's a guy that is definitely deemed expendable. Luke Rittenauer, by the way, that week traded four times, five different teams just in six days, and that's not an exaggeration. Six days. Luke Rittenauer was traded. He went from Orlando to Memphis, Memphis to Charlotte, Charlotte to OKC, And eventually ended up in Toronto.
1: So many miles accumulated, I'm sure. (laughs)
0: Yes, because he was here. How many free
1: trips did Luke Ridenour get to take from the miles that he accumulated? (laughs) (laughs) The hotel points. Give me some of those hotel points, Luke.
0: He was in Charlotte for hours. He was a part of this Hornets team. He wasn't I mean, it was not a full day. It was hours and then he was sitting. Just in on. the
1: B terminal, grab some bojangles <laughs> yes. in Charlotte Douglas. At least he
0: got to experience the chicken supreme. At least he got to experience that here at good old Charlotte Douglas International. The basketball life of Luke Ridnauer was amazing. But that's how you get Jeremy Lamb and he becomes a member of the Charlotte Hornet. So, so Lamb comes to Charlotte and begins his career with the Hornets and eventually gets that contract, and it, it didn't take him too long to get that contract. So we'll discuss that next along with the present and future alongside a couple of other things that I already mentioned that we will be discussing in the show today. So up next, again, we'll discuss the present and future of Lamb on the roster, including Steve Clifford's comments, the NBA playoffs, and more. You're listening to the Locked on Hornets podcast. You are listening to the Locked on Hornets podcast. The one draft pick you hit on was Kimba Walker and you you drafted Bismack Biombo before him. You got it right the second time, which is great. I am the smart. It's marty. But you drafted Biombo before Kimba Walker. So (laughs) again, you almost messed that one up as well. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Welcome back to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Again, Walker Mail and Doug Branson here with you. We got Jeremy Lamb up today. Took care of Kimba Walker and Nick Batum already. Got Jeremy Lamb up. And this one, again, it's a nice uptick in the morale. The Hornets, when they bring in Jeremy Lamb via that trade from OKC, they waste no time signing Lamb to a three-year, $7 million deal. He wasn't here very long. And that was taking a gamble on Lamb's development at that time. You took a gamble with his development and, of course, with contracts close to spiking. For the first two years, it seemed like Charlotte would not get that value of Lamb. But this year, he blossomed into a better-than-average NBA player, where that is a good contract for Jeremy.
1: He was in a group of players that the Hornets got on reasonable deals before the cap spike. And people often ask me, like, why... How are the Hornets in the cap situation that they are in? And honestly, Jeremy Lamb is a part of that because they spent moderate amounts of money on multiple players, and not enough of those players did what Jeremy Lamb did this season, which has improved significantly.
0: And you know what's funny is Kimba Walker got that twelve and a half million dollar deal. Was it was it the year before that, or was it that year that he got it? It would have been it would have been around that time too. And I, I remember there was quite a few people that did not like that Kimba Walker deal where he was making $12.5 million. So then you can put, it kind of happened with those two guys, and that was about it. So it was the 2015-2016 season, so it was around that time. Jeremy Lamb gets that deal, 2015, and Kimba Walker gets that deal, 2015. So Kimba, again, both of those guys. Yeah,
1: Jeremy's was the year after. Was it the year after Kimba? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 2016-2017. Yeah.
0: So it was just a year apart then, so excuse me. So just a year apart, but it's kind of funny. Rich show kind of takes it's, – it's the same approach, right? It's the same approach that Kimba, with a lot more promise than what Jeremy had at that mm-hmm. time, averaging 17 a game off those uh, couple of seasons after his rookie year. I mean, you, you, take, you take that shot with Kimba, and then with Kimba, he actually grew into an all-star deal. One of the best contracts in the league as it stands right now. Jeremy grew into his contract. You pay $7 million for Jeremy Lamb right now, and you don't have any problem doing it, and it's going to be a guy that a lot of teams might try to inquire about when looking at Kimba or maybe looking to take on with one of these other salary contracts. Maybe not Kimba, I should say, but when taking on one of these other contracts.
1: Yeah, Rick Benello of the Charlotte Observer has been prophesying right. about the, the Jeremy lamb apocalypse, <laughs> about Jeremy Lamb getting dealt because his, his contract looks so juicy. Now, I will say he did say this, and this was based on a conversation with Bobby Marks of ESPN, but right. he did say this before all of this shuffling happened, when it when it could have been a situation where the Hornets may have you know tried to reshuffle a couple of cards and look to make the playoffs. They could still do that, but it looks more and more likely like they may go in another direction.
0: Yeah, it could. I mean, it's still obviously a possibility, but it was before all that stuff happened, and now... Now I guess you just have no clue with what Mitch Kupchak is going to do and what with, with this organization is going to do because they could go any direction. And it looked like again, Bobby Marks, you mentioned him. He had wrote that he wrote an article about the Charlotte Hornets being in the situation they're in, and that Jeremy Lamb becomes a little expendable. And with a team that you don't want to give up on him, you don't want to get rid of him. And, and giving up on him is the wrong term, but you just have to get rid of him because you almost have no choice. So now he might stay. And, and the reason they played in this contract, look, he increased his points per game total. To almost thirteen points a game, and that was more than three than he had last year, and that was his previous best. His overall efficiency, it remains strong. But the thing about him is his three point shooting really spiked. It saw a huge spike, netting thirty-seven percent this season, and it had been at thirty-two for his career to that point. Now he shot, I believe, in his second season. He had thirty five percent three point shooting percentage, but that was the second best he had for his career. He was at 32, and he takes the 37 uh, – spikes to 37% this year.
1: And That's pretty amazing, Walker, because last season he really had lost all confidence in that three-point shot. His three-point attempt rate went down from 35.5% to 29.7% last season. He shot the same three-point attempt rate this season – but you could tell he felt a lot better about that shot. Now, it did sort of wax and wane some some months. He was extremely cold, started the year cold, but got hot. And when he got hot, he was absolutely unstoppable from beyond the arc. One of the few Hornets that you could count on for contributions uh, from
0: three. 100%. And when you look at Jeremy, I think you said the word confidence, and you could tell how much better he felt this season. Mm-hmm. He felt like he belonged. Mm-hmm. And you could tell he belonged, and he knew it. And you didn't see that the first few years that he was with Charlotte, first couple years, I should say, with Charlotte. This year, that mid-range game could not be stopped from him. We were talking about it before. That floater, it wasn't. It was not stoppable, and he felt so comfortable taking it. Buttery smooth. It floater. was. God, it was so buttery smooth. I, I loved watching that thing. And again, in a league where it's all about taking the three-pointer or dunking it or going to the basket. Jeremy's mid-range game was as effective to where I think you had to feel comfortable. I don't care, even in a new NBA
1: age. Yeah, and there are a couple of reasons why this didn't just come out of nowhere. He's improved his body and, and gotten so much strength over the past couple of seasons that he's able to withstand contact in the lane and still finish that floater. He's making less mistakes. He's more consistent overall. And you and I were talking before the show, he got better as the year went on. And that's something that you can't say about many Hornets. I mean, we're going to talk about Steve on the Woj pod, Steve Clifford on the Woj pod here in a minute. But one thing he said on that Woj pod was that part of the problem with the Charlotte Hornets this season is that for the first time in his tenure, they simply did not get better. Jeremy Lamb was the exception to that rule.
0: Well, he's got arms for days. So it takes a little while for the muscle to catch up to the fingertips almost for Jeremy Lamb. It takes a while and you could see it and you could absolutely tell the development. And with Jeremy Lamb coming off the bench, In a bench that really struggled the past couple of seasons, Jeremy Lamb this year decided that he was going to be a guy where you didn't have to cringe watching somebody from that second unit come out on the court and know at least consistently he was going to give you a good game. You know, Frank has his moments, but Frank is going to give you a heart attack almost (laughs) at least every other time that he comes out there from the second unit. You know, Jeremy Lamb, you could feel pretty good about him every single time he came off. You couldn't feel that way about a lot of other guys that came out from that second unit. And Jeremy Lamb provided that
1: for you. Watching Sabonis in this playoff series against the Cavs, I think really highlights for me what the Hornets are missing from that front court position or that four position, the four flexing into the five like that's uh, to me Sabonis is is what every NBA team should be looking for and it, and there are a lot of things that Sabonis has that Frank does not have especially defensively.
0: Well Dem- and Sabonis is a banger downside. Yeah yeah yeah. He can bang man. He's fun to watch down there and
1: But he can also he also guarded LeBron on the right, perimeter.
0: Right. And the the Indiana Pacers you talk about that bench. Oh, it's impressive to see that they took a shot at Sabonis and Oladipo, and everyone, of course, was dogging that trade when they sent Paul George back into OKC. OKC, he wanted out of it, but they traded Paul George out of Indiana. But then you look at what they've been able to do. Corey Joseph, they signed him from Toronto. Oh,
1: the satchel of NBA LOLs is here again. We don't want that Pacers talking. You got to respect the satchel.
0: We don't want that Cavs talking. What you got, Doug? <laughs>
1: I have the entirety. I turn this satchel's a little loud today. <laughs> it's, Be quiet, satchel.
0: No, nah, we're ba- it's a club banging in here. You can't wait. You it can't... gets so lit when you bring the NBA satchels here. <laughs> you can't tell the satchel. Or the satchel LOLs. I can't even pronounce it right. Everything is dizzy. There's strobe lights going on in the studio. We're all having a good time. I got my drinks. All right, what you got?
1: I have the entirety of LaMarcus Aldridge's post-game Aldridge Aldridge's Aldridge's
0: Aldridge eye. I have Aldridge's. the
1: entirety. Of Lamarcus Aldridge's post game press conference after his Spurs lost to the Warriors. All right, then.
0: Cool.
1: No, hang on. (laughs) <laughs> that was it. Thank uh, you. That was he's, the he's entirety of Lamarcus
0: Aldridge's is, post-game press. Is there conference. any way we can run that back? Because that's that's Darth Vader at the beginning of that.
1: The, here it is. The entire. This is the entire press conference from Lamarcus Aldridge after the Spurs were eliminated for the season. <laughs> <laughs> here's the funny part I was listening to this to prepping for the show and um, my wife walks in and was like what are you listening to that's
0: a little scary if, if you don't have the context if you walk in and you start hearing that so if you walk in on somebody and that's the audio that's playing and they're looking at a computer screen that looks a little weird
1: Yeah, that's Darth Vader. I didn't have pants on. That didn't. (laughs) Um,
0: That would have that would have been a little bit more disturbing. Had you heard the Lamarcus Aldridge heavy breathing. So Darth Vader, and you don't have pants on, and you're hearing that kind of moment. That's that's weird. That's weird.
1: It was yeah. It was totally fair on her part, but at the same time, (laughs) that's just a funny the the fact that the the by the way that's Greg Popovich's wet dream. To walk into a press conference, <laughs> it's, it's, have no one say we've anything. We've wandered down a
0: fantastic road. But yes, you're right. I mean, Greg Popovich loves that. That's what he dreams about. He wins, may, maybe occasionally a playoff victory here and there, but that comes secondary to the no question press conference. Lamarcus was totally cool with it. He was like, yep, great. Of course, I imagine a lot of players would be cool with it. None more so than what Lamarcus Aldridge, or than more than uh, what Greg Popovich would be. Greg Popovich would, of course, be proud of that. So, anyways, the Spurs are. Out of it now. Golden State moving on, and we're moving on to uh, well, Jeremy Lamb. I guess we were discussing how great he was, and and so we we touched on his past and future, Doug, and now, or his present and his past, I should say. Now let's let's dive a little bit deeper into his future. You know, Rich Cho's contract it, it turned about to be it turned out to be a good one for Lamb. He's under contract for one more year, and he's also one of the very few decent assets that Charlotte has. Well, you've read Bobby Mark's comments we talked about on Charlotte's situation, and he might just be another sweetener that you have to put in any deal that revolves around a contract dump. If you keep him, then I think you very well could see him in the starting lineup if there is any other kind of roster movement at that position. If there is so happens to be a a dump on some other position, then maybe you could see Lamb in the starting lineup, but you also get significant minutes with Lamb. And I think you're fine with that, with the way that he really produced and really progressed this season.
1: At this point, I think I would rather see a situation where Lamb stayed and is going to get a more significant role just to see what that would look like. Lamb starting a lot of games, more so than using him as a sacrificial piece to retool for a team that I'm not quite sure that if it stayed the way it is, can make the playoffs. It would be sad
0: to see him and guys like him go because, again, it is the few things that we were able to hold on to this season. And, again, I I, I would agree with you. That it would be cool to see Jeremy Lamb be able to stay – a Charlotte Hornet. If you like what we're doing here, make sure you are checking out what else the Locked On Podcast Network has to offer, including Locked On Panthers. Host Bill Rossetti is getting you ready for the NFL Draft right now in his latest episode. Again, that NFL Draft, by the way, tonight. So check out all the Locked On Panthers podcasts and the latest episodes dropping. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Locked On Panthers. We're proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Covering the biggest local stories in every single market. We'll take a quick time out. More to come on the playoffs and the one and done role up next, according, uh, of course, with Woj's comments as well, or excuse me, Steve Clifford's comments. More to come after this. This is Locked On Hornets. You are listening to the Locked on Hornets
1: podcast.
0: And Doug, don't you have an Eldon Campbell, like stuffed animal type thing?
1: Yes, I do. I got it at the last regular season home game that they had before they left for New Orleans. I, look, I love me some Eldon Campbell, but is that, is they, that the they were just, they were clearing everything out of the house because it was whatever they gave to the fans that night, they didn't have to take with them to New Orleans.
0: Get more Hornets analysis on LockedOnHornets.com. They've been fuss. And last night you saw a couple teams move on. At least one team move on. Houston blows out Minnesota with a big third quarter that they had, just like they did in the game previously. 50 points in that game. Before last night in the third quarter, they do it again. I believe it was a 30 to 15 point third quarter that Houston had over Minnesota. That's the quarter, again, that is their Achilles heel. So Houston moves on. By the They're- way,
1: that's the quarter that no one watches. Everyone, no one wants to admit it, but no one, you you get to halftime and you click away and you say, all right, I'm going to come back for the fourth quarter. Are and you- that's when Houston decides to go thermonuclear.
0: Yeah, and then that, that's how everyone is still thinking Golden State is just going to have a cakewalk. Because nobody's seeing the Houston third quarters, of course, No, I literally. Season.
1: I, I want to see the ratings on third quarter, first-round playoff series. They have to be worse than PBS NewsHour.
0: I guess I never thought about that. Is there any quarter that competes? I mean – did the start of games get to? No. I mean, are you not here for the start of games? Here's
1: here's here's how it breaks down. You you turn on. Down. You go. Okay, this is the first round of the NBA playoffs. Oh my God, look at all this young talent that mm-hmm. that Utah has. I want to watch them go up against OKC. First quarter tip off. Great. Second quarter <laughs> comes around. You go. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll stick around. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll figure this out. And then halftime comes. You go. I got to watch something on Netflix. I can't. My my attention span cannot hold. And then you'll go. Okay, I'll come back for the end of the game that's how it goes
0: that's that's probably a pretty good breakdown and I've, I don't know if I ever really thought about that but the third quarter probably is the least paid attention to wasn't that Steve Clifford's most important quarter is that's that, right
1: that's when the Hornets say that's why no one knew that that Hornets team was very good <laughs> because that's when they always shine that's that, when that they last strike off team
0: yeah that's when they sting you never know when the Hornets are going to do but until that third quarter comes you know they're going to strike so Houston blows out Minnesota once again, or at least in this series, and they go on to win because of that third quarter. That series still going on, uh, the OKC series at least, and Utah. That one's still going on, and OKC has a crazy comeback. The, the Thunder pulled off a crazy comeback. Oklahoma City was down 25 points with eight minutes and 34 seconds left to go in the third quarter, and Russell Westbrook starts to lose his mind. He goes crazy. Paul George puts the P in playoffs, and they not only win, but they win by eight. Unbelievable. Rudy Gobert's absence had a huge effect on that game, too. They rely so much on him, it's crazy. And Utah, they now lead that series 3-2, to but Oklahoma City now back in it after kind of looking, I don't don't want to say disinterested, but it didn't seem like they had a whole lot going for them, and it seemed like they were out of it completely by that point in the third quarter, and Oklahoma City comes back, and they have a couple of All-Stars leading the way.
1: Yeah, they didn't have to depend so much on on Russell Westbrook. I felt like they finally got some contribute a little contribution from Carmelo, a little bit more efficient contribution from Paul George. And that's really as as dominant as Russell is playing right now. All they needed was just a little more from some of those guys. And and same thing with the Cavs. The Cavs all they needed was just a little bit more from uh, Kevin Love to get past the Pacers last night.
0: Toronto goes on a nice run to end game five. Now the Raptors are up 3-2 on the Wizards heading back to Washington. But again, you mentioned that Cavs series. That's the game of the night. We have to save that one for last. Cleveland and Indiana. LeBron James shows that he's the best player in the world once again. LeBron hits the game, winning three to bring that series lead to 3-2 over the Pacers. But Doug, Victor Oladipo not happy after the game. Saying there was a goaltend on his drive to the basket. And Doug, I don't know how you can disagree with him in any shape, way, or form.
1: And LeBron agreed. LeBron agreed of, with him. kind of. He said, "Well, yeah, of course, I think." I, I thought, thought I it was.
0: He didn't give us the one hundred percent. Yeah, it was. But he also didn't give us the lame answer that athletes usually give us. That oh, what was it called?
1: It was totally. It was totally a goaltend. I mean, you could see it on the on the slow motion replay. But usually, referees will just make the call if it's even close, just so you have the availability. Of review, and that was the whole thing. They could not review it because, because I think there's that playoff mentality of you, you just let some of those Swallow plays go. Yeah. And but that was clearly a goaltend. I think obviously there's an NBA conspiracy to get LeBron James to the final. Hundred percent.
0: Those refs. <laughs> that's every,
1: yeah. Everyone's gonna. That's that is the line that everyone's going to take. Those refs knew. This those is refs- just enough. This is just another example. <laughs> of an NBA conspiracy theorist. Those refs knew
0: LeBron was going to hit that crazy three-point shot with three seconds left to go. They knew they'd call the timeout mm-hmm. to set up that play. Mm-hmm. They knew everything about it, mm-hmm. and I agree with them. I agree with the conspiracy theorists. It's so obvious. Even when LeBron James said that he thought it was a goaltend, basically saying that he thought it was, not saying it absolutely was, but that he thought it was. So it should have been reviewed, but doesn't take away from LeBron hitting an amazing shot. Should have been called, should have been reviewed. Refs not calling it, not reviewing it, whatever, Still, LeBron hits an amazing shot, and you have to give him kudos for hitting that. In Thaddeus Young's face, by the way, after Thaddeus had a tremendous defensive play on the offensive possession for the Cavs before that.
1: And the most amazing thing to me about that shot, Walker, is that he had spent the entire game driving to the hole a million times in that classic bulldozer LeBron Uh, mentality that he has and really was not doing a lot of jump shooting. And then he just comes through in the clutch. It's It's like somebody coming off the bench cold and knocking something down like that. And up to that point in the fourth quarter, he was mainly facilitating to others. He had missed a few shots, missed a few opportunities heading into that. But, you know, he's a legend.
0: You can't feel good about this Cavs team going deep, right? Nope.
1: You can't no, not, feel good at all about it. No, not at all. Because again, uh, they they played the stat uh, last night that Jeff Green is is one of their leading assists. Uh, uh you know oh, other God. than lebron because so much is on lebron at this point they have really mm-hmm. no other secondary facilitator and you know Le- lebron only he only has so much to give you look at that game i mean there there was a stretch especially uh in that first quarter where indiana was threatening to run away with it accumulate a 20 point lead and it was lebron just basically putting his head down and saying no no not today and he's not going to be able to do that against tougher competition i think
0: and, and Vic, no I, I agree with you victor oladipo has not been good the last four games either, offensively. He just he hadn't he can't hit, He can't hit anything, and they're still only winning by three games here or three points here and there.
1: He's learning how to play in the playoffs, I think. He's and it's especially decision making, like deciding when okay this trap's coming, I need to move this back. He did better at the end of the game, I thought, but I don't understand at the end of the game uh, on that last Oladipo possession like Sabonis comes up for a screen and it was, I I was thinking, okay, good. They're going to try to get LeBron off of Oladipo, try to force a switch or at least force some confusion. But Sabonis just goes up there and kind of gives one of these like, weird not lazy but just like a weird screen that didn't really do anything didn't accomplish anything and then you've got Oladipo one-on-one with LeBron I mean that's advantage LeBron every every day of the week and twice on Sunday
0: well and, and Victor Oladipo I and mean, he actually gets to the rim in that last possession and LeBron even talked about Don't Victor matter. Le- <laughs> and Victor Oladipo talks about it or excuse me LeBron James does said he got him leaning and he drove right by him and then of course there is the goaltending which we won't revisit but Victor Oladipo actually does it. It's the, pro- the problem is he hits two field goals that game. And he hit, what was it, just five? He went five of 15, five of 20. And the second game, in game two, when Victor Oladipo was, I believe, 50% from the field, if I'm not mistaken, Victor Oladipo gets in foul trouble and plays 29 minutes that game. So every single game that the Cavs have either won or have been, or have lost, or have been, and, of course, all the ones they won have been barely, Victor Oladipo, one, hadn't been very good from the field. And also, the game that the Cavs won in Game 2, Victor Oladipo was out because of foul trouble. Played 29 minutes. That's 10 less minutes than he had played in every single game at least. That's another quarter. You're missing a quarter of Victor Oladipo in Game 2, and the Cavs win by three points.
1: Those are facts, people. Enough with your factoids. Let's get back to ball.
0: You can't feel good about him. You have to feel good about somebody else. Maybe it's Toronto. Probably it's Philly. I'm here with Philly. Doug's here with Philly. We'll see what they can do. One other thing real quick before we close today. The one-and-done rule, Doug. The commission announced its recommendations Wednesday, focusing on the NBA's one-and-done rule, providing a path for players to return to college if they go undrafted, enhancing punishment for rule-breakers, and addressing concerns regarding grassroots basketball. What are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on the NCAA getting a commission, basically saying, hey, group, can you do this job for us? And then having them come out with this kind of piece on Wednesday, what was it, a 60-page report, and then relaying it for everyone, discussing about the one-and-done rule and, and some of the harsh punishments that they have if you do indeed defy the rules that they're implementing.
1: I think the one-and-done rule is all but done. I think they're trying to figure out timing at this point. They were talking about maybe the 2020 draft as the earliest possible date that uh, we could see the one-and-done rule go away. Uh, I like that uh, Condoleezza Rice is leading this commission. We're getting an early 2000s name back into the headlines. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's enough for liberal sports fans to forgive her for all the war crimes. I don't know. If she saves college basketball, no, if she does, okay. can, 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 will that cover up for... All of the mini wars. I don't know. I'll leave that. I'll leave that to to the listeners. You figure it out. Yeah, I, I doubt it.
0: But yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if they're able to forgive Condoleezza. Do you like the one and done rule being banished from college basketball for yes, them getting absolutely. out of that? No, I, yes. I agree. And but why do you? Because here's the thing: they want to get rid of it because they feel like it's making college basketball corrupt and. I want to get rid of it because I hate taking away the power from high school basketball players that want to go to the NBA and saying no, you're forced to go play college basketball. So we want the same thing. We get there in very, very different paths.
1: Yeah, go read the go read the Jonathan Abrams book on on high school players jumping to uh, boys uh, boys among men. Uh, go read that book because I think it will offer some insights into why the one and done rule was put in place. It wasn't to protect kids. And it never is. No. It's all about the money. But it's all about owners that were messing up draft picks. And it was their own fault. They were taking risks that they shouldn't take. And so instead of saying, hey, just don't be an idiot on draft day, they said, oh, we'll fix this. We'll, and This will make college basketball better. It'll make the NBA better. We'll have players that are coming in ready to play. And it didn't. It didn't do any of those things. And, and I think that they're finally coming to their senses on this And it's going, listen, if college basketball, because it is so huge and such a big part of basketball in general, if that is viewed as corrupt, if that is viewed in a negative light, that hurts the NBA. I mean, that's just a fact. And so they've they've got to figure this out. It, it looks like they're starting to. I'm fine. Ban all the college basketball coaches that cheat. I don't, <laughs> college basketball coaches are... They're, they're, there's too much ego, too much pride there anyway. Too weird that the college basketball coaches are bigger than the players. I'm fine with the powers that be uh, going through with all of these changes.
0: Well, and the one thing I do like from all of this as well is, again, I do like getting rid of the one-and-done rule. Again, it's very different ways that we get there. But I do like getting rid of that rule. I also like having players be able to return to college if they do try to mm-hmm. get in the NBA draft that is one positive thing about this and it'll be interesting to see how they implement some of the rules like maybe they are you know what what the rules are for coaches able to sign another player if they do go towards the NBA draft it will be interesting to see how they implement that but i do like that the players have a chance to come back to uh, to uh, to back to college and be able to play uh, college basketball
1: walker did you see this number there are over 230 players college players that are going to be testing the waters for the nba that's oh, too, it's unbelievable that's too many
0: and it, well it seems like there's more this year than ever is that is that a record
1: yeah it was an it's an increase over 180 and then i think that was an increase over like 100 so it's just exponentially that number is just growing because more and more kids they see the they see the opportunity there but the g league can't handle that number of players obviously not all of those players are going to get drafted and if enough you know agents get into their ears and trick these kids into thinking that their nba dream is a reality you know that that's what's going to hurt kids but if you give these kids the opportunity to go back to college to figure things out that's only going to benefit i think everyone involved
0: well sure and and it's a smart move by the way for all those kids because I don't care if you're ranked 230 out of those. At least you see, at, at least you see what teams are thinking about you. At least you understand what everyone else's is perception on you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might you might of course have that alpha dog mentality, saying I'm the best player here. But the NBA teams might not. And then if you still decide to go with it, even though you're even though they're saying you're 170th out of this, and we only have 60 picks, then that's on you at that point. But right now, it's not on college basketball players. Right now, they're going to go see what their perception is and they still can't come back and that's the problem.
1: I think why they're doing this now too is they are seeing players like Von Maker and uh, Anthony Simmons in this draft basically finding a way to to undermine the rule anyhow because Simmons did like a post grad high school year. It's like a weird thing but he's 19 I've years old. I still looked
0: into it. I still don't understand what he did after. I
1: don't game. get it either, but but they're figuring out and that's the thing. That's the first hole in the dam. And there will be more holes and more people figuring out ways to get around the rule. And and that, again, is w- when you start to have that kind of thing happen, it's just it doesn't look like a positive thing. Uh, and, and it's going to take away from the draft, from the NBA, and from college basketball. So good on uh, this Condoleezza Rice-led commission. Uh, I'm willing to forgive uh, maybe like at least 2005 on. That's it. I'm still 2003 <laughs> on. There. Uh, that's still on you, Condi, but I'll, I'll let go of everything. After the one that. thing
0: real quick, before we wrap it up, I, I got to get this off, too. The one thing up real quick is that they don't, address, they don't address paying players. They leave that out of the report. They don't address allowing players to market themselves, and that's still a problem. That's a, that's a huge problem. This is, in fact, the biggest problem that even was addressed. If you were to put that here, then that goes to the top of the food chain and all the problems that you addressed within this panel. And it, you look at it with college football, you look at it with college basketball, these kids could be making a lot of money themselves. And you always go, I always go back to the Fab Five documentary when Mitch Album is talking about his time with Chris Weber. Chris Weber walks by a bookstore in Michigan, and in an Ann Arbor bookstore, there's a number four on a jersey, and he's looking at it. And he can't
1: it. even read the number four. What's up with that?
0: <laughs> and Chris Weber looks at the jersey, Doug, mm-hmm. and he sees the number four, and. He's thinking, wait, that's well, 80 bucks. Why am I not seeing a dime of that money? I'm not seeing any of that. And Mitch Album said, that's when I knew Chris Webber was going to declare for the NBA draft. You know what? How can you blame him? The guy was amazing. And maybe you can't read. All right. <laughs> thanks for listening to Lockdown Hornets here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lockdown Hornets. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Lockdown Hornets. Thanks a lot again for joining us, guys. I'm Walker Mail. Doug Branson along with me. We'll talk to you tomorrow.